Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. All right, grab your Bible, if you would. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It's going to be our text for the day, our that we springboard into this uh, uh, vision point with. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I would like for you to read it with me today. You can read in your Bible or look up on the screen so we're all reading the same verse or the same version. Uh, let's read it together. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's try that one more time. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, we are in a Vision Point series. We have been in this for, this is our eighth week, and we're in Vision Point number eight. And so we're walking through the question, who has God called us to be? Who has God called us to be? And we have these Vision Points up on the screen for you, and let's walk through them quickly. It says, we desire to be a church that reflects heaven, a multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of worshipers who are captivated by and surrendered to Jesus. That's one. Number two, we desire to be a family where broken lives can encounter the healing power of Jesus. Number three, we desire to declare God's word through singing and preaching and evangelism. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Number four, we desire to become fully devoted disciples who are being transformed to look more like Jesus and are committed to knowing and obeying the Bible, loving one another and making disciples of all nations. Number five, we desire to train the next generation of pastors, church planters, missionaries, parents, and professionals who will serve their communities and point others to Jesus. Number six, we desire to deploy people to the edges of Oconee County and to the ends of the world as the ambassadors of Christ armed with the gospel and filled with the Spirit. Number seven, we desire to sow the gospel seed to thousands of people every year and help people who are far from God trust Jesus, join the SBC family, and enter into a process of discipleship. And lastly, today, and certainly not of least importance, we say we desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. That is the vision that God has called us to at Seneca Baptist. He's uh, given us a mission statement. It's very simple. And that mission is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. So if you walked in here today and this is your first time here, uh, you're in good company as long as you're a work in progress because there are no perfect people here. And if you are a perfect person, you are not allowed here. They can go to a church down the street because the only perfect person at Seneca Baptist is Jesus. And so that's all that we got. So you're... That's, that's us. We're all desiring to become more devoted disciples of Jesus. And uh, we have three words that we use, kind of our strategy. How do we intend to accomplish that? Three things. We declare 
we disciple, we deploy. We declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. This is who God has called us to be, uh, what he's called us to do, and how he's called us to do it. And today we look at number eight. And so let's go to the Lord, let's pray. Uh, ask you to, to pray with me and for me as I bring this message this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and our heart's cry is to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. And Father, um, that's my desire today. That, that Jesus might be glorified. And for Jesus to be glorified, he must increase and I must decrease. So hide me behind your cross. Father, speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, come work in our hearts. We believe, Holy Spirit, that you intend to do great work in us and great work through us. So please today, Father, do not leave us the way that we walked into this room. We recognize that you are here and that we, uh, we need to meet with you. And so, Father, help our hearts to be open, our minds uh, to be captivated by you. And, Father, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everybody said, Amen. All right. We desire to see Jesus glorified in all that we do. A few um, months ago, I guess it was now, I preached a sermon out of Ephesians chapter 3. And out of Ephesians chapter 3, the sermon was entitled, The Why Behind the What? The Why Behind the What? And the, the, the intention of that sermon and that sermon title is, we always need to know why we do what we do. Not just the what of what we do, but the why of what we do. And the why behind everything that we do is the glory of God. That God would be glorified in us. And glory in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, glory is kind of summarized or connected to three ideas. And here are the three ideas, the three words. Number one is weight. Weight. Number two is worth. And number three is worship. Weight, worth, and worship. And so when we think about the glory of God, we think about that His weight would come upon us. The weight of all of His presence, all of His character, all that He is, all that He has said, all that He has done, that that weight would come upon our lives. And when it does, we will see what we count as worth or worthy being transformed because it also is connected to treasure or value. We give glory to what we value most. And so weight, worth, and what are we considering to be our treasure? And worship. Worship. Now, I want to just go back in our minds. In our minds, back into the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, there's a story of Moses just after leading the people out of the promised land, just after uh, receiving the Ten Commandments one time, he is up on the mountain in Exodus 32. They build this golden calf and they begin to worship it. And Moses throws down those, that, those two tablets of stone and he goes down. Do you remember this? And, and he rebukes them uh, in the name of the Lord and, and he grinds up the, the, the calf, the golden calf, and he puts it in the water, and he makes them drink that judgment upon themselves. And then God brings him back up on the mountain to meet with him again. And as he comes back up on the mountain, Moses has a prayer. And Moses says this, he says, Please 
Show me your glory. Do you remember this in Exodus chapter 33, right at the end, verse 19? This is what it says. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now listen, he says, show me your glory. And God responds, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And then in a few verses later in verses uh, chapter 34, uh, verses 5 through 8, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Now here's what happened on the mountain. Moses was so captivated by and consumed by the weight of God's character that that he bowed his head to worship. Moses was in awe of the God that stood before him and is revealing himself to him, to Moses, that Moses, the weight of God's glory came upon him, the worth of God came over him, and he bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. So when we say glory, this is the way that John Piper defines glory. John Piper says that God's glory is when His holiness goes public. God's glory is when God's holiness goes public, or when it's made known to us. When we see the holiness, the the grandeur, the greatness, the majesty of God, that is when we begin to behold His glory. Glory is this idea of weight, and worth and worship. And for us, it's when the weight and the worth and the worship of Jesus become so real to us that we are led to worship Him and to help others do the same. That is what it means to glorify. Now, I just want to ask, have we as a church, has the church across our nation, have we lost this sense of awe at the holiness and the glory of God? Have we taken church and made it consumeristic? We have made church about us and what we like and what we want and what we don't like. And instead of saying, it's not about me at all. We don't do what we do for you. And I've I've said this in jest before, but with seriousness also, that sometimes we leave church and we go, you know what, music was okay, I didn't like this song. Preaching was all right, I didn't like that. And... You know, Christopher uh, has never picked a song for you, but always for the Lord. So we do what we do for the glory of God. And I feel like it's time for our church and the church to regain this sense of awe and wonder and worship and glory. So I want you to see three things today. Now, when we talk about the glory of God, um, 
I, I am going to give a big sweeping arch across a lot of texts. And so this is more topical uh, than, than preaching through a verse, but I hope to hit it all for us today. Uh, the three things I want you to see about God's glory, number one is God's glory is the motivation for our lives. God's glory is the motivation for our lives. In other words, God's intended purpose in all of creation including you and I, is the end goal of His own glory. So, whether we're looking at the natural creation, have you ever been outside, looked out? We live in a beautiful place, don't we? Driving down the road, driving through the mountains, and you have just gone, wow, this place is amazing. Now, if it were to stop there, what we've done is we have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of of created things. But if that beauty causes us to say, like Psalm, the psalmist did in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. So as we're driving down these beautiful places, maybe out on the lake, maybe uh, walking or hiking in the mountains, and we say, God, look at the place that you've created. You are so incredible. If this is your creation, it is outstanding, and I this, this day want to thank you for it. Glory, creation, the creation around us exists and declares glory. And Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says that you and I were created for His glory also. We're created for that. For the purpose of God's glory. And now, we think about that. Why do we exist? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What, what has God put me in this world for? And maybe you're just struggling in this season to say, what, it, what am I here for? And now listen to me. Every one of us will instinctively ask ourselves that question at some point in time across our lives. Whether it's when we're in, in high school and we're looking at what college to go to or we're in college looking at what degree to, to find or whether we're uh, leaving college and we're finding what career field to get into or maybe we're midlife and we're kind of having a crisis of identity, we're all going to ask ourselves, why do I exist? Now listen to me. There are a couple things that we tend to do. We tend to look inward to figure out that purpose. I'm going to look at how I feel. I'm going to look at my, my, my upbringing. I'm going to look at my family that I came from. I'm going to look at the things that I was raised thinking. I'm going to look inward. And the problem is if I look at my feelings, what happens to my feelings tomorrow? Are they going to change? My feelings are so unstable and they make a horrible place to build your life. Your upbringing, is your upbringing different than my upbringing? Of course it is. We were not raised in the same place by the same people with the same values or the same home. You were not raised in the same kind of house that I was raised in. So if I look at upbringing to define purpose for me, we're all going to have a different purpose, and your purpose might disagree with my purpose, and then whose purpose is right? So I can't look in, and I can't look out. What if I base my purpose on people around me? Culture. Around me. Now, we do this in our country. We look at people, my, my family. What does my family want me to be? What does culture expect of me? What does culture say is right and good and just in these days? And if I'm looking to the culture for identity and purpose and truth, I'm looking to the wrong place. Why? Because culture shifts like sand. 
So if I can't look in and I can't look out around me, where do I look for identity and purpose and truth? I've got to look up. I've got to look up. We instinctively ask ourselves the question, and we will find a thousand uh, ideas about our purpose. My purpose here is to be a good citizen. My purpose is to be a good husband. My purpose is to be a good father. My purpose is to be a good worker at the field that I work in. My purpose is to be X, Y, Z. I want to be successful. That's my purpose in life, is to make a good living. It's to own a nice house. My purpose in life is all of these things that the world kind of feeds us. And if we begin to believe those things, we will live for uh, the fading glory of possessions and people. There is a larger purpose for you and for your life, and that purpose is nothing other than the glory of God. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says it this way. Romans defines sin in chapter 1 as looking at um, exchanging the glory of God for created things and not giving thanks to the Creator. It's exchanging the glory of the immortal, almighty, invisible God for things that you can touch and see and feel. That is what Romans chapter 1 says that, that sin looks like, is that exchange when we give ourselves to lesser things. We are created for the glory of God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 8 says it this way. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your remembrance, or, or some versions will say your name and your renown, are the desire of our soul. In other words, Isaiah is saying your glory ought to be the desire of every one of our souls. That should be why we want to exist. And as God's creation, God intends to use everything in your life, everything, as a tool to bring Him glory. Just like Jackson said, the wins and the losses, the bumps and the bruises, the ups and the downs, He intends to use everything in our lives, everything we experience and everything we do, even our church. He intends to bring Himself glory through the tool of the local church. Glory. Now, Ryan, you, you, I don't think you get it. How in the world does God intend to use the pain that I'm currently experiencing for glory? It doesn't make sense to me. It would make a whole lot more sense if God gave me all these blessings than that God allowed these troubles and trials in my life. Come on now, can we just be honest? When, when all things are going well in our lives, it's really easy to praise the Lord. But when life seems to fall apart and the wheels come off the bus, have you ever been there? When the wheels come off and, and then you go, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. How are you going to be glorified in this? Have you been there before? But God intends to use everything in our life, whether it's the blessings of God or the trials that He allows in our lives, to bring Him glory. Prove it, Ryan. 
Job. Which Job do we want to be? We want to be the Job at the beginning that has it all, and then the Job at the end who has everything restored. Nobody is signing up to be. I want to be Job in chapters 2 through the, the last chapter who has nothing. I want to be that Job. But Job brought glory to the Lord through his blessings and what seemed to be curses. Acts chapter 12, there's this story. In the early church, there's great persecution that has arisen because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter, or James first, is in prison. Acts chapter 12. James is imprisoned, and when James is imprisoned, he's beheaded. Nobody's signing up for that missionary journey, right? We've got mission trip A, you can go to jail. Mission trip B, you could be beheaded. Or mission trip C, you know, you're going to serve on a beach, right? Uh, C. James is beheaded. Same chapter, when Herod finds out how much it pleased the Jews to behead James, he arrests Peter, intending to do the same thing. The church continues to pray as they did for James. They continue to pray for Peter. And what does God do? God does an incredible miracle, doesn't he? Sends an angel of the Lord in the middle of the night, wakes Peter up. Hey, Bubba, get up. Let's go. Peter doesn't know what's happening. He gets up. He he puts on his clothes and he, he walks out. He thinks it's all a dream. And he finally gets outside and he comes to his senses and he goes, Ha, I really am free. The church that's over there that's praying for him, uh, he goes to their door and he knocks. Hey, it's me, everybody. Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the door, hears Peter's voice, runs back inside. I don't know why she didn't open the door. Leaves him outside. Hears, hey, Peter's alive. He's at the door. And they all go, I know, Rhoda, I know. You just miss him so much. He's in prison. We're just sitting here praying. Okay? So we ask ourselves... It begs the question, why in the world did God see fit that James would be beheaded and Peter would be set free? Same circumstance, same prison, same evil king. Why is James beheaded and Peter set free? All of us, we want to be the Peter in the story. And the answer is that God saw fit to glorify himself best through the beheading of one of the apostles and the redemption of another. And now none of us like that answer, do we? Because we don't know what's coming down our way. All of us want to sign up for the path of blessings, but in the path of life, we come across blessings and trials. And God, listen to me, church, God intends in those blessings and trials to bring Himself glory through your life. So instead of saying, why are you doing this? Hate this. What are you trying to teach me? How in the middle of my struggle can I bring you glory? 
How can I bring the weight of God and the worth of God and the worship of God to bear upon my own heart and on the hearts and lives of other people around me in the middle of the struggle that I'm facing? Whether it's cancer or death, car crash, lose a job, lose a child, how, God, do you want me to live so that your name, the weight and character of your name is brought to bear on those around me? We exist for the glory of God. It is the motivation for our lives. It's the purpose behind everything. So that's why he says, so whether in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Think through this with me. He says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do all. Do everything. Everything you do in your life is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. So the question that we need to begin to ask ourselves is, how in the world do I work at this job that I really don't like and I do it for your glory? Because I wish I had another job, a better job. How do I do laundry? And if my wife were here, it's the never-ending game, right? How do I do laundry to the glory of God? You say, Ryan, I think you're being silly. I'm not. Everything we do is to bring glory to God. How do I do that? How do I eat food? It says whether you eat or drink. How do I eat food to the glory of God? How do I go to school for the glory of God? How do I raise children for the glory of God? It's an important question that we've got to ask ourselves because it's the intent behind everything we do. How do I budget money for the glory of God? How am I married for the glory of God? How in the world do I mow the grass for the glory of God? I'm not being silly. I'm not trying to be silly. And how do we do church for the glory of God? Everything that we do is for the glory of God. To bring the weight and the worth and worship of a holy God to bear on the world and those in it. We're ambassadors of Christ, remember? We are dominion bearers into the world. We bear His glory wherever we go. Number two, glory motivates, God's glory motivates our worship. It's the motivation for our worship. Now, God, in the conversation with Moses on the mountain, do you remember what He says? Moses says, Show me, please show me your glory. And God says, no one can see my face and what? And live. You can't do it, Mo. Here's why. You're a sinner. I am perfect in my nature. And my perfection can't be in the midst of your sinfulness. And so I can't give you exactly what you're asking for. So remember, we know he took him and he put him in the cleft of the rock and he put his hand over him and he walked past him. And when he had walked past him, then he removed his hand so Moses could see just the backside of God's glory. You can't see the fullness of my glory. Now, we, like Moses, have a sin problem that we can't see the glory of God like, like Moses could. Now, here's the deal. This is exactly why Jesus came. 
Jesus came as the glory of God incarnate. He came being God's glory, bringing it to bear in the world. And he came to do that, to live a sinless life and die a sinner's death, to bring us into the very glory of God. This is what Jesus did. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we get to pray the same prayer that Moses prayed, please show me your glory. We get to gaze upon the glory of God. Now, think about your quiet times. I, I, I'm a huge proponent on quiet times. I think every day you need to be spending time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. And if you're not doing that, we would love to help you figure that out. We have some Bible reading plans out in the foyer to help you grow in your relationship to God. And we know God and see God best in the person of Jesus Christ as revealed in His Word. So please get in the Bible every day. But in your relationship with God, what is your time with Him? What does it look like? What's it look like? Oftentimes, many of our prayer times look like this. Okay, God, good morning. Thank you for waking me up. Now here's the things that I need. This is what my day looks like. Uh, I need this, I need strength, I need, I need, I need, I need. And here's what I need today. And, and I want you to just consider that our time with God should be so much bigger than reading a couple chapters out of a book and saying, here's all the stuff that I need. Let me ask you a question. Does God know what you need before you ask? So that can't be the only point of prayer. God has brought us into relationship with Him that through the Word and through prayer we might have a divine encounter day by day with Him in His glory. That we, like Moses, would say, I'm coming up the mountain to you, Father. I'm coming up because I want to know you and I want to see you and today I want to behold you because it says, when I behold you, I'll be transformed to be like you. See, oftentimes we say, do this in my life when, when God says, if you just come to me and behold me, I will make you naturally what I want you to be. You don't need to ask for that if you'll just come up the mountain and meet with me. Are you with me? So much of our relationship with God is about, here's what I need and let me inform you of my day. Now, is God a good father? Yes. Does he love it when you come to him with your list of needs? Of course he does. Does he love it when you inform him of the day? Of course he does. But that can't be the end goal of a relationship with God. We have an incredible privilege as a part of our Christian growth to ascend the mountain with God and say, please show me your glory. Because Christian growth is not to grow as containers of information. This is not what Christian growth is. Now, do we need to grow in what we know? Yes. But that's not the end goal. The, our Christian growth is not to grow as containers of information, but as vessels of worship. Vessels of worship. It's not intellectual. It's transformational in the heart. That's why we go up the mountain to meet with God. Not to know more stuff about him, but to know him more. And there's a big difference, isn't there? So go back to our prayer list 
oftentimes our prayer list really tells us what's important to us. And that's why Paul, do you remember in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says something like this, it's up on the screen. Philippians chapter 3 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Did you see that? Because of the surpassing worth. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, here's what Paul is speaking of. Paul is going through a, here's how I was raised, here's who I am, here's my background, here's all the things I know, here's what I've done with my life. And he says, I count it all as rubbish. It's dung, it's refuse, it's just garbage compared to Jesus. This is, what, this is what he means. He's not saying, Paul's not saying my upbringing is rubbish or was rubbish. He's not saying that his learning and his education was rubbish. It's, it's not that the things in his life that God blessed him with were rubbish. But here's what Paul's saying. Follow along with me. When any good thing competes with the true treasure of Jesus, then it's got to become rubbish until Christ becomes ultimate. We've got to, if there's anything vying for my affection and the treasure of my heart, then that thing has got to become rubbish so that Christ can become central and ultimately valuable. Until Jesus is the pearl of great price, until He's the treasure hidden in a field, everything else has got to be sold away to gain Him. They're not bad. His upbringing wasn't bad. No. Paul was able to refute the Jews because of his teaching, because of his upbringing, because of his training, because of what he did. He was able to refute the Jews with great power. But until he treasured Jesus, it was rubbish. So let's, again, let me make this practical. This, this is why Jesus came. Each one of us, we're searching for something valuable to live for. What's valuable? And most of us, probably wouldn't say it's stuff. But we would value things and people and relationships. We're searching for it. And that's the story of the Bible. It's that mankind traded the glory of God for the image of created things. When, and that led to all kinds of sin and brokenness. And if you've gone down the road where you've set Jesus aside for a while and you pursued other things, you'll know, you can testify that that road is filled with brokenness and pain and sin. And we, we mankind, we could not save ourselves from the mess that we created. Do you know, nobody's let us down more than we have. Nobody's taken us down that road without our permission. We, we couldn't fix our own mess. So Christ came. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, left heaven and came in the form of a man, humbling himself, being born of a woman, came into the world and revealed to the world his God's surpassing greatness and value. He came to show us the glory of God. 
to purchase us out of the kind of selfishness that we were living for. He purchased us by his selflessness, his sinless life, his death in place of sinners, his resurrection from the grave was to purchase us from a life given to lesser things and to help us live for what never fades, and that is God's glory. It is the motivation for our lives, and it's the motivation for our worship, because God takes rebels and makes them worshipers. Now, in Christ, God's glory ought to be our highest desire, because Jesus is of surpassing worth and value. Do you want to know why somebody gets saved? It's because the weight of God comes upon that person. And the futileness, the futility of their sinful pursuits. It comes upon that person. When the weight and worth of God come upon a person, you're going to see everything else is falling short and you're going to turn to Jesus. And so nobody's ever come to Jesus without the weight of God falling upon them. Three, God's glory motivates our work. It motivates our work. It motivates our lives. It motivates our worship. It motivates our work. And when I say worship, I don't just mean singing, but I do mean singing. Worship is so much bigger but it is about when we sing. Do we mean what we sing? If there was a lost person that came in our doors, person from another country came to our country for the first time and you took them to a Clemson game on Saturday and they heard what you did at Clemson at the stadium, you know, your belly's painted orange with a big tiger paw on your chest. I know some of you guys. I know you do it. And you're yelling, your head's face is red and veins are popping out of your neck and then you bring them to church on Sunday morning, which one are they going to think is more valuable to you in worship? It motivates our work. Paul, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, if you're going to speak, speak the oracles of God. What's true, what's been revealed. If you're going to serve, serve by the strength that God supplies. Live in dependence on Him, so that in everything, God may be glorified. And then he finishes to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's this doxology or this glory sentence at the end of His statement that He, he deserves the glory and so that's why we should serve Him in His strength. That's why we should speak what He has spoken to us. Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, says it this way. He says, the church is a display of God's glory. Everything we do, our goal in everything we do ought to be that God would be glorified. Or, as Habakkuk says it in chapter 2, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. 
that's what we want. We want the glory of the Lord to go out from our church into our community across the earth. We want the glory of the Lord to be known. Here's how I'll close. I'm going to make this really practical. There's, I read an article um, based on Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Um, in this article, it, it says, here are the seven attributes of a church that glorifies God. Seven attributes of a church that glorifies God. Number one, a devoted church. Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, the prayers. They devoted themselves. They were a devoted church. Okay? You want to know what's going to bring the weight and worth and worship of God upon a world that we live in? It's a people who are devoted to the King of glory. Oftentimes, we're far less devoted to church than we are to lesser things. A devoted church. Number two, a church built on God's word. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. A church built on God's word. Everything that we do ought to be built on the Word of God. That's why we are very careful. And when we talk to people who want to join our church, this is what we believe. This is what we believe the Bible teaches us. And we want to base everything that we do not on our opinions, but on God's Word clearly revealed. A church built on God's Word. Number three, a hospitable church. Breaking of bread, the fellowship. Hospitable. And it's more than when somebody walks in, do we greet them well, but are we bringing them into our lives? Seneca Baptist Church is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been into, and if you're new to Seneca Baptist Church, we pray that you have felt welcomed. But we also want to become a kind of people that you come into our homes, our lives, and you do life with us. Number four, a church energized by prayer and worship. A church energized by prayer and worship. This is what Acts chapter 2 says. A church that glorifies God. Prayer and worship. That should be central to who we are. Prayer. We depend on the Lord. Worship. We give glory to Him and Him alone. Five. A church empowered by the Spirit. A church empowered by the Holy Spirit. The job that God has for us is too big for us to accomplish in our own strength. And we sang uh, in... in um, the song that Christopher uh, gave to us, um, should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does, does raise the house, in vain the builders strive. Psalm 127, if the Lord doesn't build it, we've labored in vain. Zechar, or, uh, uh, I don't remember where it is right now. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Six, a church that exhibits generosity. Generosity, they were selling everything. They were giving their belongings and the proceeds of their belongings to any as they had need. Generosity. And seven, a church that evangelized daily. A church that evangelizes daily. It says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. The Lord was adding to their number day by day. I want to be a church that is a display of God's glory. And it means that we've got to trade what is of ultimate value. We've got to give up lesser things for what's of ultimate value. 
Today, you might be in here and you say, Ryan, I'm, I am lost as a goose. I came in here because I was invited. I do not know Jesus. I do not know if I would go to heaven today if I were to die. I do not live for greater things. In fact, I'm on a vain pursuit of all of this other stuff. And you talked about the road of brokenness and pain and sin that I've been walking down because I've been chasing after other things. If that's you today, you can come to Jesus today and you can trust Him and you can be saved from your sin today. And you can begin a new life as a new creation in Christ Jesus and you can have a great ultimate purpose and that's my prayer for each and every one of you. Last weekend we baptized three. Today we baptized two. And next weekend I think we've got four or five on the, the slate to baptize. Maybe you're out there and you want to join them. You want to be a part of what God's doing. You can give your heart to Jesus Christ today. So would you stand with me? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me and just you and the Lord meet together. Maybe you're out here today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you say, Ryan, that was me. I, I, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And today I want to place my faith not in what I do, but in what Jesus did for me on the cross. He died for my sin. Maybe you're out there today and you want to make that step of faith. If that's you out there today, would you just slide up your hand? Slide it up. It's just you and me looking. Maybe you're out there today and you just say, God, I, have, I know you, I love you, I know you died for me, but today I have gone down a road that you did not want me to go down. And so today I want to come back to you. I want you to recommit your life to Christ today. Lay down those lesser things and pursue Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we need you. Father, forgive us when we chase after lesser things. Forgive us when we exchange the glory of God for created things. And help us, Father, to, to leave the vain pursuit. And to have one pure and holy passion to know and follow you. To live our lives for you. And may our church become a church that exists to glorify Jesus in everything that we do. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That you were